0: Today's moment of digital workplace inspiration offers you insight into how your organization can save time, reduce frustration, and improve the employee experience. There are many processes your business relies on for success, and now they no longer need to be time-consuming to administer or frustrating to complete. WorkGrid's workflow functionality provides a robust, easy-to-use platform for automating task-based processes without the need for your IT department. And workflows, of course, are ideal for onboarding, performance reviews, even daily in-office health verifications. Workflows can also bring collaborators together from various departments, creating a unified flow of work that's easy to administer and seamless to complete. For more information, including a great guide, visit workgrid.com slash workflows or follow the link in the show notes. And now on to today's episode.
1: Everybody's talking about, you know, return to work, back to normal, that there is no return to normal. And we also, if we got back to normal, we wouldn't be able to agree because what, There was no agreement about what was happening before. And so there would be no agreement on whether we got back to that place. And, And you can't go back in time. You can only go forward in time.
0: It was both a delightful and a little surreal to have Paul Miller back in the Digital Workplace Impact studio once again. As many of you know, Paul is the CEO and founder of Digital Workplace Group. And of course, he launched and hosted this podcast for nearly four years before I succeeded him as host. I asked Paul to come into the studio once again to share some highlights about a new manifesto for the decade of courage that has been newly published. Many of you may remember that last year, Paul debuted a manifesto in the height of the pandemic. And given that we're at yet another point of inflection with the rise of hybrid working in an endemic world, Paul felt that it was important to open a second season for that manifesto. And with that as a backdrop, Paul and I explored what inspired him, the anchor tenants for the manifesto of which there are six this time, his advice for organizations as a whole and digital workplace leaders and their teams in particular. So needless to say, the conversation was a fascinating one. We talked about lots of different themes, including hybrid leadership, Stockholm workplace syndrome, hyper-physical, hyper-digital thinking, grief and loss in the workplace, work as a local affair, the merging of work and nature, and last but not least, the future of work is young. Join me now for an interesting and insightful conversation with DWG's own Paul Miller. Happy listening. So, Paul, I'm fresh from summer holidays and was really excited to find today's Discussion on the calendar, it seems like a great way to kick off the fall season where we know our members and wider digital workplace community are thinking about the future and how the world of hybrid working will come to a head in the months to come. And I know that members and clients are always excited to hear what you're thinking about because it helps provide some strategic thinking points to guide those important conversations that are happening as people are planning for 2022 and beyond. And of course, during the height of the pandemic last year, you published a manifesto for the decade of courage. And to my surprise, you shared the fact that over the summer, you thought it was important to revisit that manifesto and recalibrate it with a 2021 edition. And I guess a natural starting point for our conversation today would be to say, for those who weren't exposed to the original manifesto that you created in 2020, what was it and why was it so important? And then we can hit the fast-forward button and talk a little bit about the new
1: edition. Sure. And, and um, thanks for uh, for bringing me on. Thanks for asking, Nancy. Um, I'm, I'm delighted that, that people find what's going on in my head interesting. And I, I, I think that um, if I kind of roll, let's roll back in time to the beginning of, of 2020, which can seem like a long time ago. And One thing that kind of strikes me is that in January 2020, if we can remember back that far, most people were mainly concerned with an impending nuclear crisis with with Iran, which was kind of dominating the news. And it it sort of fascinates me how particular items kind of dominate the news and then sort of disappear. And so that one kind of disappeared. And then the virus arrived. And I remember having a conversation with you, Nancy. I was over in Canary Wharf, in the kind of financial district in the east side of London. And we were debating this, the impact of the coronavirus and whether we might have to postpone a member meeting that we'd got planned in New York City at the end of April. And that seemed like quite a radical thing to do. Of course, you know, in retrospect, it's all kind of obvious, isn't it? And so one of the things that was occurring to me in the early days of The pandemic. And I shared a a, a sort of video blog of what are the, I think it was 20 things that we as a company had learned about digital working over the last 20 years. Because the world of work was moving from the physical to the digital wherever possible. And it felt useful as a, a CEO of an organization that had worked in this way for kind of almost two decades now that it would be worth sharing it. And in the back of my mind was we really should write something of more a bit of a bit more significance around the effects on the world of work of of the pandemic. And obviously huge amounts have now been written. And and this started as a blog post and then became a playbook. And as the blog and playbook got sort of workshopped across the company the idea of it becoming a manifesto, which is is not a kind of rule book, but almost like a kind of declaration of what should be thought about in in the new world of work. And I think the bit about it that I kind of latched onto, that I, I, it was a phrase that I'd come up with on a podcast at the end of 2019, which I'm not sure if I'm glad that I kind of thought of, but I said... In the decade ahead, it's going to be the decade of courage because we're going to need courage in the decade that's to come. And I was thinking about climate crisis, uh, injustice, uh, income inequality, all of the kind of legions of issues that we faced pre-pandemic and faced during the pandemic. And so this idea that we're going to need courage in the decade to come, we're going to need to find our own courage we're going to need importantly to encourage each other and and to get encouragement from each other so it started penning this document that became the decade of courage manifesto really because workplaces were closing and in order to it was like what should we think about in the in this in this decade of courage that we were just at the beginning of.
0: That's really helpful context to start the conversation. The next natural question is to say, okay, so you've got this declaration and here you are a year later, a little bit over a year later, thinking about some key themes anew and bring us to where you were when you sat down in front of your laptop and started to work on a new edition of the manifesto. And, and as you're sharing that story of why now, of course, it begs the question whether you're setting the stage for an annual or something else.
1: Goodness, sounds, that sounds, sounds like a lot of work. So let's just to kind of answer that, just to remind, People who are listening, or or kind of let people who are listening know what were the the there were twelve points in the the manifesto, and I was just kind of looking through those. So the first one was to significantly reduce the size and human density of centralized urban offices, move to local pods, um, get hyper resilient business continuity through advanced digital workplaces. I'm not going to go through them all. Improve the digital readiness, digital literacy across your organization. There was another one around putting human beings front and center uh, rather than AI and getting leaders to demonstrate leadership in digital environments, um, reimagining the office in organizations. And so the, the first manifesto, I was encouraged um, myself by the fact that so many people seem to find that document really, uh, really useful and and so that really kind of made me uh, start to think about well, is there a, a season two? Uh, I, I I didn't originally have the idea of starting some annual um, kind of update manifesto editions, but obviously so much has changed in the last um, eighteen months that I thought it would be really interesting to look down, look through, and revisit it, and and so I tried to shape the new manifesto in, in the kind of context and story of the box sets. So, you know, box sets became, I think, uh, for quite a lot of people, certainly including me, um, one of the ways of getting through the various lockdowns. So I thought, well, let's treat manifesto se- as season two, as the kind of latest in the box set. And there'll be characters that you know from season one, such as Courage, uh, the manifesto idea itself, and different examples. But there'll also be some new entrants, like hybrid leadership. So we're talking about hybrid working, but this really brings us into the idea that we need hybrid leadership to lead a hybrid workforce so the leadership itself needs to Im- evolve in the endemic era and we are definitely in the endemic era and and that really just means that for a, the, the the virus is not a surprise now the virus is not something new unexpected it's something that in depending on where you are in the world we are learning to live with and it's really interesting looking at certain economies and countries who are, I don't know if the word is more advanced in or, or further down the virus journey, adjusting to living with. There are other places that are experiencing different levels of that, but everybody's experiencing this hybrid ways of working and hybrid leadership. Um, the other thing that I brought in as a new character in episode two of the of the series is is what I've called the Stockholm Workplace Syndrome. Uh, what happens when we fall in love with our captors? And it talks about the famous story of Patty Hearst, who was uh, the daughter, uh, granddaughter of American kind of magnet, financial magnets, and and she gets captured back in the seventies, and then experiences Stockholm workplace and it's not, not Stockholm syndrome, where she starts to fall in love with the captors and starts doing bank robberies. And so the question is, what about lockdown have we fallen in love with? So for example, just speaking for myself, you know, if I'm still living in quite a cautious way around kind of meetings and physical work meetings, which things are smart judgments and which things are, I've just got too cozy and comfy uh, here. And and so there there are different uh, items which we can get into, but that's where I I started um, uh, season two, episode two. I also talk about Succession, the box set that I thought was probably my favorite box set of um, Lockdown One.
0: And ultimately, who do you think is the audience for The new manifesto, is it simply digital workplace leaders and their teams, or do you see it extending beyond that?
1: I think if I look through the points around the whole idea of hybrid leadership, um, the new workplace syndrome, hyper-physical, hyper-digital, and and for example, letting the idea of rites of passage, uh, grief and loss into the workplace, I think it's really for all key areas of organizations. I think quite a bit of it is for the digital technology practitioners and leaders, uh, particularly the the ones that I think of as change makers, kind of trailblazers inside their organization. But I think equally there's an awful lot there for chief HR officers, People involved with change management, strategy, and and probably for the first time, I've noticed through my own conversations having more uh, access and connection into uh, CEOs of um, medium size and some larger organisations. People involved with facilities, workplace design. I think for for better or worse, it's got quite a diverse audience and there are some points for instance point number six is work and nature merge when you realize that your company and the world of work are alive you're not a machine the nature of work changes who on earth is responsible for that well nobody is you could say the ceo is you could say hr is but it's actually a shared i think board-level, leadership-level conversation. To some extent, it's the ESG, environmental, social governance, but I think it's something it cuts across all levels of the organization.
0: Yeah, so I guess if I think about it, there are almost two halves to the whole. There are the people who are leading the digital transformation of their organization, and then there are those who are operating... In the hybrid workplace with a heavy emphasis on all the leadership levels that you've just described. But I also like to take a, a broader definition of leadership and say that you know it's about anyone who's trying to get things done and affect change in the organization and create a sense of influence. And so Individual contributors can fall into that realm as well. It's not just about being a people leader, um, but it's it's about people who are trying to move individuals through their workplace experience day to day as well. So it sounds like this this net that you're casting with the new manifesto and and folding it into this idea of the box set could be quite powerful for virtually anyone working. Nowadays,
1: yeah, and I, th- I think one example that that comes to mind that I think is 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 quite illustrative is so in the new manifesto I talk about PwC and they announce what's called the deal, which gives extensive flexibility and changes for for for, for post pandemic working. Uh, it stands alongside their commitment to net zero, but it involves learning and development programs to help people make positive societal difference. Uh, The idea of what they call an empowered day, giving people freedom to decide the most effective working pattern on any day, reduce working to four and a half days a week and Friday afternoons off, uh, certainly for part of the year. Uh, And I think what's underpinning PwC, and they're not uh, unique in this, but I think all credit to them for this, is the realisation among employers that systemic changes are needed in how organizations work. They're also doing it because it's part of that particular manifesto point, which I which I describe as the future of work is young. And that doesn't mean that older people like me don't have a place in, in work, but it, I think it means that younger workers are driving radical systemic change in culture and practice. And that, if you're PwC or any organization, and actually we should get into talk about labor shortages because I don't know if you've got that going on in the US, but it's, it's certainly kind of having a dramatic effect in the UK at the moment. But actually what they're doing is saying, how do we appeal in a highly competitive work market um, to the younger uh, and best people? I think one of the things that's concern, concerning me is that there's a lot of tactical thinking about return to work and reopening offices and how do we get back to normal. And, and of course, that, is, that there is a level to which people want to be together physically and, uh, and need to be in an appropriate way. But actually, what we, this is really the time for strategic. Uh, particularly medium-term strategic thinking. And I think when I look through the manifesto points, um, if you take the PwC example, to me, that's a combination of strong tactics and strong strategy coming together. I think you could argue, I've got a point around hyper-physical and hyper that not only do we need to become more digital, but we also need to become more physical. And and the way to do that, I think, is is, is to, I think, uh, I think it's Accenture have have opened up something which they call the nth floor, the idea of the digital HQ, and so there's this combination of of tactics and strategy uh, at work there. I think.
0: And then I think I would overlay a discussion about the changing skill sets that are needed to work through all of this. Something we've been talking about quite a bit of late is people's tolerance for ambiguity um, is under pressure at the moment, and the need to be agile in your thinking. And I'm not talking about IT's agile methodology, um, but uh, flexible thinking um, and deep thinking alongside working tactically um, needs to take on added importance here. And so that redefines. How leadership needs to operate, as well as individual contributors and team members, as well. Because if you look at where we were, for example, in the northeast of the US, where, yes, Paul, there are labor shortages here, but we're also seeing very unexpected things happening vis a vis the weather. You know, n- New Jersey was hit with three tornadoes last week. And so we are seeing climate change in a very bold way here. And um, so children were meant to be going back to school. And within a matter of days, they've pivoted back online. And of course, that has implications for people who are working as well. So that ability to shift quickly, to be able to act upon key decisions with a minimum of data and making sure the right data is in front of you as that's happening so you can pivot quickly as circumstances change, that's, that's now part of the new normal.
1: A- absolutely, and one of the things, and it, it came up today in, was in Manifesto One, I talk about having uh, hyper-resilient workplaces that can adapt to digital will, ways of working kind of at will. And actually we're starting to see that in the world of education, which is a world of work as well I mean just because they're little people doesn't mean they're actually not working they are it's they're getting it's a kind of it's it's education is a if you like a working environment that 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 children are in, and we need that educational environment that working environment to keep flowing irrespective of. Climate change, uh, virus, unexpected things like the labour shortage, which again was completely unexpected uh, for for twenty twenty one. We were forecasting, I think, high levels of unemployment and a thousand people going for every job. Now there are you know one person going for a thousand jobs. You know it's g- kind of so things have flipped. That things have flipped on that level. And I think as you say, having leadership that can deal with ambiguity and deal with the level of change and I, I i think the ability to have options and the ability to be adaptable and flexible i mean i talk about in the book that Shimri james and i wrote nature of work new story of work for living age starting to use the metaphor of nature as a way of thinking about your organization so for example the ability for trees to adapt to different weather conditions. When you what, when you think that the, the weather that a tree will go through during the course of all the different seasons, the heat, the wind, the rain, etc., etc., shedding their leaves in autumn, in fall, in order that when the wind comes, it's going to give the tree uh, le- the wind less to kind of push against, and so less pressure on its system. So, kind of, what's the analogy for for you as an organisation? And I mean, this labour shortage is is a new wave of change throwing through the world of work. Marriott, I think, is has got a hundred thousand vacancies, could be more. What do you What do you do when you've got huge amount of customer demand for your hotels? You've got the economic uh, opportunity there but you can't get the people to, to do the jobs. And therefore you end up kind of hiring people you'd rather not hire, keeping people you'd rather not keep, etc., etc. The service starts to deteriorate. I'd have an answer to this one. Uh, one. One thought around it is it's actually an opportunity to create a better, more sustainable, healthier organization, organism, so that actually you differentiate yourself through the quality of the experience that you give to people in the world of work. That's kind of a long winded answer to your very simple question.
0: <laughs> but I think it comes back to this this idea that you talked about relative to PwC. And it's you know not only about tactical thinking, but strategic thinking all at the same time and taking a step back and... Thinking about how work can be done differently, what can be stopped, what needs to change, um, and looking at you know, all of those variables in order to create the best way forward. And so with that in mind, um, I know at DWG, we always try to think about how our audience can put our research and our insights to best use, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this relative to the manifesto.
1: Well, I think one key area is to see your digital workplace as as part of the insurance policy of your organization. I mean, it turns out your digital workplace was your essential workplace. Imagine, and I said this is the beginning of the first manifesto, imagine if we'd had the counter scenario where the digital workplace you couldn't go into, the only place you could go into was the physical workplace, minus the technology. Work stops within minutes. The fact that it was the physical environments that were generally uh, inaccessible and the digital environment that was accessible. So when you think about your adaptability resilience as an organization, your digital workplace is the lifeline of your organization. And that can be whether you're a, a restaurant, hotel chain, uh, which can seem like, a, which is a very physical environment, but you take away the technology from that and you're not getting supplies, you're not getting orders, you're not getting customers booking. Uh, you know, the whole system starts to ground to a halt. So, so when you're thinking about um, how to prepare yourself for the rest of the decade of courage, whether it's through climate change, viruses, terrorism, you know, things come that are expected and unexpected. And and the insurance policy comes from that. And the other one is to, I think, make sure that your leadership is utterly comfortable as hybrid leaders, uh, that you can express empathy, adaptability, resilience flexibility irrespective of what uh, is going to get thrown at you i think if you uh, have areas of leadership that are really attached to that's the way we do things around here and we've seen that a little bit uh, in some of the some of the uh, wall street banks and some of the ceos have got themselves into a little bit of hot water by saying this is the way we're going to do it around here and then having to backtrack because either mandates say no or the workers just go, well, I'm off or I'm not coming in. What's your next thing? And then you start to look a bit like King Canute. Um, remember King Canute? He didn't. Dis- well, we were actually on a boat trip over the weekend <laughs> um, on in Pool Harbour. Pool Harbour on the south coast of England turns out to be the largest, second largest natural harbour in the world, after Sydney Harbour, which is the most beautiful harbour in the world, in my opinion. And King Canute, Danish king, was invaded England about a thousand years ago and used one of the islands in the Pool Harbour. And of course, the story of King Canute is he's on the uh, on the beach sitting in his throne saying that I'm the king, I'm in charge, I've got this all handled, don't worry. This is starting to sound a bit like Wall Street CEO that we can think of. And and then the waves come in. And of course, you know, I, I can't remember at the end of the story, I shouldn't know the answer. Does he drown or does his staff pull him out? Probably they pull him out. But I mean, the story is you can't resist a certain kind of natural forces. So I think that, um I would say, a digital workplace as your lifeline of work and make sure that your leadership is, is a hybrid leadership that can work with a hybrid workforce.
0: That's a terrific insight, Paul. I, I always love when you bring a story to the story to really help crystallize but- the point. <laughs>
1: yeah that 's what I mean that 's what I mean when you said to me people are fascinated by what 's going on in my mind but if you if you're if you 're the owner of the mind it's kind of a less a less sort of smooth experience I have to tell you
0: i guess um stepping back a little bit, we know that many practitioners in our space are hyper focused on conversations about enabling the hybrid workplace and I guess um, I'm wondering what your parting advice would be for those leaders and teams about elevating their thinking into what's normal next.
1: Well, well, well the word that I've been coming back to, which is one of the 12 chapters in, in the book, Nature Work, is all around habitat. So we, we look and draw on nature and animals, all living kind of creatures, find their natural habitat. And and that that process of finding their natural habitat is is part of the natural system that happens. And and so th- when you're starting to think about hybrid working, return to work, which teams wear, start to think about it from a habitat perspective. So where on any given day is the, is the optimum habitat for each, for, for individuals, teams, groups of people. And and that, you, I think, doesn't mean you don't need to think about how often people should be physically meeting. I mean, you know, in our company, Nancy, uh, in a few weeks time, we're all going to spend a week as a management team living together. Why are we doing that? Because we haven't Uh, done that for a while it's one of the things that we do in what we call the big brother house Um, not that we have the whole thing filmed I hasten to add but that for the week becomes the habitat for each of us as individuals and I would say the habitat of the organization and and the habitat of the DWG organization so I I think that's a, a way of Thinking about it. it doesn't mean you don't need to think about how much real estate and what to do with your offices and whether you should subsidise people to provide better accommodation and, uh, and. But but start to think about it rather less as a tactical, uh, executional thing and more as a trying to ar- arrive at um, your your happy place.
0: I think that's a really powerful way to get people thinking beyond just the here and now. Uh, So as always, those are just great ways to think things through. So, Paul, I guess in our final moments together, what what have we missed? Is there an all-important question we should leave people with, a final thought?
1: Hmm. Well, uh, everything for me at the moment seems to be related to the builders that we've got in our house and and they're, the way that they work, uh, I, I mean, I'm sort of joking and, and sort of serious as well. So here's an example from Pete, our superb plumber, who's putting in a lot of pipes at the moment. And Ali, my partner, told me that she wondered where Pete was, and she went out yesterday, and he was in the back of his van, sitting cross-legged. He wasn't meditating; he was looking at sort of things on the paper and you know, having some quiet, reflective time. And I what I, what I would say is he was giving his time to step back, just take log of things. I imagine if you're a plumber you've got to be constantly thinking of ahead. So if this connects into that, connects into that. And and what I would say at the moment, it can everything can seem really frenetic and we need to decide now and there's this pressure and this urgency. But if we don't have the time to properly reflect if we don't have the time to effectively be like pete the plumber and sit cross-legged in the back of the van and take 10-15 minutes to just kind of let it all sit um we'll end up then going doing the rest of the plumbing and find out that there's a whole bit missing and your supply chain doesn't make any sense and there's a whole bunch of people in one particular region who are not part of Microsoft Viva and were never part of Microsoft Viva. But if you'd have kind of thought about it, you could have already discerned that they were part of the organization you bought two years ago, and they're still using, you know, SAP, Oracle, etc. To be more Pete.
0: <laughs> be more Pete. So allow <laughs> yourself the headspace for deep thinking time as a catalyst for problem solving, new ideas Mm. and Mm. even opportunities to think about what your people need, both your current staff and staff that may be coming on board at a time of lots of change.
1: Uh, Absolutely. I I could write a, a kind of another manifesto, of how to organize an organization just based on our, our our builders and their network and how they work. It's got all the ingredients of a system that works, which is why currently on a six month project, the main problem is that the project's going too fast and is too much under budget. I could regret that, I know, I know. I really <laughs> could regret that.
0: But wouldn't that be a nice uh, achievement? On a broader scale yeah. with some of those thinking points in place um, yeah. as a share for for others. So you always have yeah. such terrific wisdom to share with us, Paul, and you always stretch our thinking uh, beyond where we are at the moment. So it's always a treat for me to have you come into the studio, as I know it will be for our listeners.
1: Pleasure, Nancy. Enjoyed it very much.
0: Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry, not only through membership but also benchmarking and boutique consulting services. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com.
1: To be more Pete.